Welcome to ING's Think Aloud, where we try to make sense of the world in the most unbanky way we can. In today's episode... When the Governing Council, by full consensus, decides that purchases under the PEP over the next quarters will be conducted at a significantly higher pace than during the first months of this year, it is not an insignificant commitment that they're making. So I think that there is a serious taking into consideration of the undesirable yield increase that we have seen in the last few weeks. European Central Bank President Christine Lagarde stressing that the bank is serious about containing bond yields and is taking action to rein them in. The ECB is stepping up the pace of bond purchases under its Pandemic Emergency Purchase Programme and could increase the total amount of asset purchases if need be. German bond yields rose to the highest level in a year last month, while French 10-year bonds climbed above zero for the first time since June. Eurozone bond markets have been tracking a rise in US Treasuries on worries about higher inflation. But a little bit of dovishness goes a long way, and Lagarde's soothing words prompted a rally in bonds on Thursday, pushing yields lower. So has the bank done enough? I'm Rebecca Byrne, and today I'm joined by ING's senior rate strategist Antoine Bouvet to find out. So, Antoine, the ECB has front-loaded its purchases. Now, it hasn't ruled out increasing the total amount of assets that it will buy under PEP. But is that sort of unlikely at this point, or do you think that it will have to go down that route? It's always more possible that they uh, over-deliver on easing rather than they under-deliver. There are a number of reasons to believe that it's very difficult to get the Eurozone out of its low-growth, low-inflation hole uh, it's in at the moment. And therefore, I always tend to have a bias towards them um, actually doing more than what they said previously, rather than less. How much can the ECB really influence the path of yields anyway? You wrote recently that even if the central bank were to double its purchases under PEP, it wouldn't make that much difference anyway to the fundamental value of bonds. Yeah, that's an interesting debate. Like we wrote at the time, the overall amount of purchases they want to carry out is going to be unchanged. What change, What changes is the timing of it. I hesitate a little bit because it's more complicated than that, but the, the simple answer is this. Um, so how does this translate? Does this translate for a path in interest rates? Probably that we can shave 10 basis point off our first quarter forecast. Second quarter, I'm already a bit more doubtful that this is necessary because this surge in purchases, uh, this front-loading of purchases is supposed to end or will be at least uh, re-evaluated at the June meeting. So if this lasts only three months, I'm tend to say Q1, fine, shave 10 basis point off, which is not a lot, which will take us more or less where we are already. And this is probably why the market is struggling to rally further. If they extend it further, then then the question of your initial question, uh, which was, would they increase that envelope eventually? Then then that question becomes uh, relevant because they can't increase the purchases for an additional three months without really addressing the question of them running out of firepower before the stated end of this program, which is March 2022. So it's a long way away, in other words. Yeah, the, the more I answer your second question, the more I'm convinced actually the answer to the first question is they will do more. It's it's always it's always easier to to do more than to do less. The more central banks spend on supporting the economy and supporting financial market, the harder it is for them to stop doing it. It's it's that simple. So it's a bit of a it keeps ratcheting up every time they, they deliver easing. 
it, it looks like they're on autopilot for, for the next three months. They said they'll reevaluate the decision in June. Unlikely that circumstances may change. If they change, it will be because they need to buy more anyway. I, I fail to foresee them stopping before that. Okay. Since the ECB's December meeting, a lot has changed. Lockdowns have been extended in Europe. The vaccine rollout has been quite agonizingly slow. Is the economic optimism reflected in yields misplaced? Or do you think that that's actually an accurate reflection of where we are? There's always two ways of answering this question. The first one is looking at fundamentals and are fundamentals reflected in interest rates. The other answer is is to take a starting point and where the market was at a certain date and say, things have improved by how much, uh, and this is how much the market's moved since then. There is a bit of a difference between the two because there is a thing called path dependency in the market, which is the, which the second question um, addresses, which is that markets tend to start from a point where they are. It doesn't matter whether it's justified or not. This, this is the new reality. So anyway, the, the, on the first question, which tends to be more valid in the long term, during since the beginning of QE, 10-year bonds traded about 100 basis points below inflation. So if you assume that on average inflation in the Eurozone is going to be around 1.5% over the next 5-10 years, then you'd think bond yield should be 0.5%, which is about 80 basis points higher than where they are now. So that's the, the long-term trajectory once, once we're out of the hole in uh, and, and assuming QE is an unwound, which I don't think it will be unwound, it's extremely difficult, as we hinted. Um, the answer to the second question is, you know, has the improvement of the situation since December been commensurate with the increase in yields? I would tend to answer in the affirmative, not necessarily because the domestic situation in the Eurozone, but because globally we are on a path towards a recovery. You're very right to point at the agonizing pace of vaccinations in the Eurozone. Yet, we, it only feels that we're a few months behind the UK or the US on, on that front. I know this. the US is a different debate, actually, I shouldn't compare it because of fiscal policy. But it only feels like we're a few months behind. So yes, it's going to shave a few percentage points of growth in 2021. But in 2022, I'd say it'll be about comparable. So yes, I think it is justified. In fact, when in grand scheme of things, like we said in the first question, interest rates are still very low compared to what the long-term picture for growth and inflation should be. Well, let's talk about inflation. Obviously, it was mentioned in the press conference. Lagarde said that the reasons for higher inflation are transitory, and she said the bank would look through that. Our economists think that headline inflation could top the ECB's 2% target in the second half of the year. Do you think that they will look through it? What are the chances of a policy mistake? When I listen to Lagarde, as I have today, um, or I'm tempted to say that the chances are pretty low. I remember in the January meeting very clearly how she emphasized how that upcoming increase in inflation was temporary and driven by technical factors and idiosyncratic factors. And we've literally been showered with new you know, terms to describe old concepts today. But ultimately, they know that this doesn't change the long-term picture. They haven't revised, very importantly, they haven't revised their 2023 inflation forecast, which is the relevant one in setting policy. They, they set policy according to the outlook for inflation in the medium term, not about what's going to be inflation next three months. In reality, reality is more complicated than that. This is what you entered in your question, of course, is that inflation will reach around 2% by the end of the year. By that point, the recovery will be on a much firmer footing, even with the delay that we've had in Eurozone. Optimism will be probably very high in other places in the world, in particularly the US, if um, if some of the economic forecasts out there are anything to go by. This isn't just a 
flash in the pan, that growth will remain supported at least until the beginning of 2022 by this fiscal stimulus. And that's not taking into account another round of infrastructure spending. So it, it won't happen in a vacuum. It'll come at a time where optimism will be uh, very widespread. And the ECB as an institution has a track record of making hawkish policy mistakes. It's that simple. So it's going to take, even after eight, after eight years of uh, Draghi at the helm, it's going to take a while for the market to forget this. And I'm not even sure that, I'm not even sure that it would make that mistake anyway. So it's, it's a risk. It's definitely a risk. There are hawks on the government council who didn't see a problem with higher rates um, at the levels where they are. So once the economy has improved, once the recovery is certain, once the global economy is on an uptrend, uh, I don't necessarily think they'll be uncomfortable with higher rates. And I actually think this will be a pretty good timing. At least that's, that's the way I think they think about it. The timing is going to coincide with actually the end of their purchases or the time where they need to taper their purchases. So it's all going to be the end of it. I think that's what they, they hope. Well, our US economist, James Knightley, predicts that by June, the Fed might have to acknowledge some sort of tapering is needed. What impact could that have on European bond markets? And where do you see rates at year end? We see yields, uh, uh, yields at year end at 0% uh, for 10-year bond, which, as we discussed before, is the same as before the ECB meeting. So we're not changing that. The reason why we're not changing that is because the front-loading purchases, so this purchase is not going to carry out later. But moving on to where, why we think interest rates are going to move up that much, and at the moment 10-year bond is below minus 0.3%. The reason for that is because there is, well, first off, a global recovery that we're expecting to be much on a much firmer footing by the end of the year. But also there is a thing called risk premia in the valuation of uh, government bonds, interest rate products. And that risk premia is basically, it reflects the supply and demand imbalance or balance or imbalance in the market. It reflects the perceived riskiness of government bonds and that perceived riskiness is very subjective. It's impacted by a number of factors, including the STB purchases, but also by what's going on abroad. And the reason why I'm saying that is, you know, if you make a thought experiment and think the US economy is on a trend and the Eurozone economy is staying in a, in a recession forever, you would still have euro rates going up by virtue of global investors who have the choice to arbitrage between buying bonds in euros or in dollars um, and typically just look at what's happening in other markets. As they reassess the riskiness of US bonds, they also reassess the riskiness of European bonds. And that's even if nobody changes their assessment of what uh, ultimately our ECB rates will become. Antoine, Lagarde said today that the central bank is not engaging in yield curve control, but there has been speculation that the bank has been buying bonds to kind of limit the difference in spreads between the core and the periphery. Is this yield curve control in all but name and could we see more of it? Yes, I think so. What DCB is doing is the central bank equivalent to what Kitzinger used to call um, constructive ambiguity. There's two reasons for that, why they won't give us either a yield or a spread target. Uh, a is because it's very complicated in Eurozone. You don't have only one set of bond market, but you have um, as many as, as you have member states. So that's that always opens up the question of which one to target. Uh, secondly, it's a dynamic situation. Uh, if interest rates seems to be high today, they might seem to be low uh, tomorrow, depending on how the economic backdrop changes. So it's it's typically not very productive to anchor part of the curve and and especially on the nominal rate, and say this is a level where we're going to target. This is only, I think, useful at, at the beginning of a recession. And this is typically useful for the front end of the curve to anchor interest rates 
and prevent the market from pricing a hike in, in, in the base rate further down the line. It's much less useful in our current environment. Will we see more of it? Yes, I think it's very inconvenient to rely on quantitative targets the way they've done it you know, instead of, of setting a level of interest rate. But unfortunately, that's the best compromise they could come up with. So I, I think this is the, the way they will continue approaching that. Okay, Antoine Bouvet, ING's Senior Rate Strategist. Thanks very much. Thanks. This podcast has been prepared by ING solely for information purposes, irrespective of a particular user's means, financial situation, or investment objective. The information does not constitute investment recommendation, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice, or an offer of solicitation to purchase or sell any financial instrument. Read more at think.ing.com slash content dash disclaimer.